This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Turner Wyatt, CEO of Upcycled Food Association, about his purpose-driven career and the movement to reduce food waste. Hi, everyone. My name is Turner Wyatt. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Upcycled Food Association, which is a nonprofit. And we're working really hard to prevent food waste by growing the upcycled food economy. And really what that means is by making upcycled food a thing for most consumers. There's so many great upcycled products out there on the market. But as a consumer, you don't know which ones they are because there's no common thread. When you're walking through the grocery store, there's no way to see these are the upcycle products. That means if I want to have an impact on food waste. How do I know what products to buy? Which are the upcycle products? So we're building an environment in the grocery store and when you're shopping for food online or other products too, not just food, that makes it easier and more accessible for the average person especially in the U.S., but all around the world, too. So we'll get into some of the international versus national work that we're doing here. Very cool. That's awesome. Thanks for joining me, Turner. I'm obviously on Team Upcycled since it's something I've been seeing kind of grow in the industry, and I'm all about preventing waste slash finding better solutions for climate change and so on and so forth. And since food always pops up as like seven of the top 10 ways we can reverse climate change, I feel like solving for food waste, which is one of the biggest problems, is critical. So I really appreciate what you and your team are doing and always excited to keep spreading that movement. Before we dive super deep into that, though, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your background. I was noticing that you started studying, kind of doing environmental studies in school, and all of your kind of companies that you've led thus far have some sort of food and environment kind of aspect to it. So where did that initial kind of love for the environment come from? Oh, man, I don't know. I'm from Colorado. And so my dad took me skiing every weekend and probably some love for the mountains. And then eventually, maybe some fear that the ski resorts are going to dry out because of climate change, (laughs) which is like the most privileged. I mean, skiing is such an expensive sport. And growing up in Colorado and getting to go skiing, it's like a super privileged perspective because obviously most environmental problems disproportionately affect lower income and communities of color. But hey, you know, like whatever brings people to the table, I guess. Yeah, I ended up studying environment and food because it was just kind of for a young person in college. It seemed like, oh, you mean you can smash these two problems together, food waste and food insecurity, and they just solve each other. That's just really appealing, you know, to a to a 22-year-old, which is how old I was when I started. Actually, I'm here at the office randomly. I don't live in Denver anymore, but I'm here at the Denver Food Rescue office randomly because I'm passing through my old hometown. And so when I, I office out of here when I'm in the area. And that was an organization that I co-founded when I was 22 years old that helps to prevent food waste by picking up otherwise wasted food from grocery stores and delivering it to low-income families learned a lot, mainly about the challenges of charity and the ways that there are unintended impacts of 
people trying to do the right thing. And really it has to be resident led and focused on health equity and racial justice and not just providing free food to communities and particularly not necessarily healthy food to communities that are experiencing diet related illness at disproportionate levels. So that was a huge learning experience and very humbling and still very near and dear to my heart and grateful for them for letting me use their Wi-Fi. <laughs> and one thing I guess led to another and it just kept feeling like, man, food waste is a really impactful way to do this work. Last year, maybe two years ago now, I saw that Project Drawdown ended up listing preventing food waste as the number one solution to climate change. That was the most validating yeah. thing ever to have some research <laughs> go behind that. Like, oh, great. I, yeah. Everything that I've been working on this decade has actually meant something. And then ultimately got to upcycling sort of with, I think, being a little bit burnt out on philanthropy and burnt out on nonprofits and their dependence on grants and donations and thinking, mm, hey, yeah. you know, there's these big companies out there that are wasting so much food. They have a huge, they should have a huge financial incentive to prevent that waste because it's just loss. You know, the, the oil and gas industry this is an example that I give sometimes. If there was a trillion dollars worth of oil leaking out of a pipeline somewhere, not only would it be all over the headlines as an environmental disaster, but it would be a huge prerogative within that company to clock, stop that leak so that they could get that trillion dollars back. Yeah, that's, so that's happening. A trillion dollars worth of food is going to waste every year. It is an environmental disaster. And so we need to put, you know, reframe things to put the onus back on, on the shoulders of these big food companies that are profiting so much off the waste in the first place, but could profit more by reducing that waste and kind of creating a consumer environment that really empowers people to, to prevent food waste with the products they buy. That's really cool. I hadn't thought about it in a, that lens of kind of like an oil spill, but it's totally is that if you think about it, it's just this, maybe instead of one company dumping an entire ship of oil into the ocean, it's all these companies dumping sometimes tons of oil or sometimes a little bit of oil, but across the world, it's just this huge problem and especially bad in the United States. But if the media framed it more as like an oil spill, maybe that would fire people up a little bit more to get behind it. But even without the kind of oil spill analogy, the fact that people can buy these delicious products that are just as good as non-upcycled products, maybe even better, but also fight climate change with it, I think is super appealing because most consumers want to do something for the environment, but they don't always have the time, the money, the whatever to participate in a in a super deep way. So giving them a super easy way to do it that just fits into their life is fun, you know, probably close to the same price, et cetera, is such a great opportunity to get the world kind of moving forward on that cause. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We're all going to go to the grocery store this week. Hopefully not everyone has access to a grocery store, but we're all going to be buying food in some shape, form or fashion, right? Hopefully. And so it's, I think the reason that it's really exciting to me is it's like, you can make the solution align with something that someone already does. It's beneficial to the environment and beneficial to business at the same time. Think about how many examples of that there are in the world. Very few. Like normally when you think about a business doing something that is good for the environment, it's like investing money in activities that reclaim their negative impact on the environment elsewhere. 
that their normal yeah. business operations just inherently creates. But with upcycling, we're telling these big conventional businesses that you know sometimes don't even necessarily care that much about sustainability, or at least they care about sustainability a lot less than they care about profits. Hey, you can do the right thing. And guess what? It also helps you accomplish your sustainability goals. And then also, I mean, take that as an, an analog for the consumer. Hey, you're going to the grocery store anyway. If there's a energy bar that is $2 on the shelf, it's good for you. Then there's a upcycled energy bar that's $2 on the shelf. And it's also good for you, but you're helping to prevent half a pound of food waste by purchasing that one. Most people are going to go, oh, well, no brainer. I want to help the environment. Or maybe they don't even care about the environment. Maybe they just want to prevent food waste. And that's really the beauty is that everyone cares about food waste. Everyone cares about food waste. Whether you're super right, super left, here's something I tell people to do. Think about the person who's the most opposite on the political spectrum from you. Yeah. I can vi- visualize that person and then think, do they care about food waste? The answer is probably yes. And no matter how much you disagree with them on everything else, you probably agree with them on food waste because according to Mattson, 99% of people wow. care about food waste and 95% of people want to do something about it. In their own lives. And so it's kind of like, well, wait, we have the best solution to climate change. Everyone agrees it makes businesses more money. And so I think, you know, it's all this alignment that yeah. made this movement really exciting and why there's so much momentum, I think. Well, I think what's also kind of another layer of alignment is that upcycled food isn't some weird new fad or trend. It's kind of what we as humans have been doing since the beginning of food, really, right? You you make, let's say you're just like chopping up some veggies and you've got all these end pieces and whatever left over. Like historically, people might take those end pieces and make a broth out of it or, or do something like that. Or maybe you're cooking some meat and you throw the bones in the soup to make a beef a bone broth or, you know, like there's just all these kind of things where we're, where we're used to at least historically used to <laughs> trying to use the whole animal or the whole plant or the whole whatever to get its best use. But a lot of industrial food waste is just not doing that anymore, not using every little piece of it, not taking advantage of those awesome byproducts. I probably talk about this example a little bit too much, but I just love the sauerkraut example where there is just so much juice left over from the process of making sauerkraut that they started selling gut shots, which are also good for you to drink the probiotic, you know, sauerkraut juice. And then their that product took off so well that they needed to then turn around and make more sauerkraut to supply the demand for gut shot. And so they had all this leftover fiber, like all the sauerkraut that they weren't necessarily using anymore. So then they created chips out of the <laughs> out of the uh, leftover sauerkraut, right? But it's all these ideas of, it's not waste, right? We're only, it's only waste because we're too busy or too lazy or too whatever to do something with it. But in reality, it's all just really awesome, still good, nutritious, tasty food in all those cases. We just haven't been putting it to its best use. Yeah, I love that example. Keep saying it. Don't worry about saying it too much. It's a great example. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you know, it's so interesting because you're right. We've been upcycling forever. And I think there's kind of this block in people's minds. It's like, well, what's the point of Upcycle Food Association if we've already been doing it forever and it's already, you know, happening, a historic part of our food history and culture, 
then what's even the point? Why do you have to come up with some logo that shows people which are the upcycle products and things like that? And there is an answer to that. And it's that we've become disconnected. A century or so ago, when everything started to get more industrialized or continued to become more industrialized, the food system did also. And we centralized power for the sake of efficiency to maximize profits. It's sort of, that's why we have the big five crops that most of our land is dedicated to and why there are some foods that tend to be less healthy and tend to be marketed towards lower income people that cause diet related illnesses. And that's why people who lack access to healthy food tend to, you know, have these diet related illnesses. And, and that's why the number of farmers as a portion of the population has, has just tanked. And, you know, there's all these kinds of things. And so it's no one's fault, really. Well, I mean, I guess you could kind of point the finger at like the industrialized food system, but yeah. it just kind of has happened as a result of our economic system. We've become more and more separate from our food. Most people don't know where their food comes from. They don't know about the impact that their food choices have on the environment or other people. And in reality, it's one of the most powerful decisions that you can make in your daily life about the impact that you want to have on other people and the environment. And so what this is about, it's not about reinventing the wheel. The upcycled industry is about reconnecting, reconnecting with the food and with the land, with each other, and kind of reconnecting with almost the spiritual component of it too. You know, this is the moments that we spend together around a table that we cherish them and, and really kind of bearing witness to that and recognizing the, the significance in that. And also the significance of the impact that we can have by making the right choice over the wrong choice. And I think that the growth of the upcycled industry and the increase in accessibility of upcycled products is going to make that decision just way more straightforward for most people. Uh, oh, I want to find upcycled products because I know that prevents food waste, which I care about. Maybe it's because it's the best solution to climate change. Maybe it's because for some other reason, because I was brought up in a way where, you know, we don't waste food in this household. So it's exciting because it's really about engaging millions of people around the world with this really sort of natural relationship that we should have with our food and with each other. And there's sort of makes those things more accessible to us. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the organic movement, right? They historically, since the beginning of time, all food was organically grown. And then it wasn't until kind of a similar period that you're talking about industrialization of food and so on and so forth that we as a species started cutting corners on our food and trying to put inputs in that weren't meant to necessarily be there, but that might speed up things a little bit more. And then next thing you know, we're depleting nutrients and doing all these kind of nasty things that we then had to go and step back and say, wait, what a minute, wait a minute, what's happening here? How is all this going downhill? How can we make sure we get it back going uphill? And we realized that we just need to go back to doing things the way we were doing them. But the problem was there was no clear definition. There was no word per se for it. There was no agreement on what was and wasn't the, the right way to do it. So the industry had to come together and create the organic standards and then launch an organic seal so that people that did want to buy food that was made that way could recognize it and it was verified by a third party on shelf. So same thing with the Upcycled Food Association, right? Like people have been upcycling, companies have been doing it, not calling it upcycling and people in their homes have been doing it forever. But that doesn't mean there's not value in coming together around a shared definition 
and a a symbol that we can use to let people easily identify the products that fit their whatever they're trying to shop for on shelf and gives everyone kind of unifying messaging and a, and a better way to kind of talk about the problem. I feel like it's just the next big kind of food movement is get your organic, get your gluten-free, get your whatever it is that you're into, but now also get upcycled. Why not? Yeah. Man, one of my favorite realizations that I have had this past year with COVID and everything else is we have more in common than we think a lot of the time. And what you're pointing out is that big food companies have been doing upcycling for a long time. You've been doing upcycling in your home. Maybe you already had some product that maybe they called it something else, not upcycled food, but something else. And if we recognize the similarities that we have across our food supply chain and also just between individuals as people, that's a really powerful thing because it allows us to align and talk about what we're doing better together. And the reality is all these people are already upcycling and we're trying to encourage more people to be upcycling using otherwise wasted foods to make new products and align under one banner, under one message, because we know that at the end of the day, we have clocks that tick in on climate change and we got to figure some of this stuff out like now. And that means we have to get a ton of people, like billions of people to all do the right thing. And so if we use the collective voice of hundreds of businesses and millions of consumers, I'll be calling it what it is like, Hey, this is, this is upcycled. We're preventing food waste here. We're growing towards a circular economy. We're using this kind of centralized, standardized language. Hey, the best way to prevent food wastes is to buy upcycled products. Uh, upcycled makes preventing food waste really easy for people to engage with, with the products they buy. That helps to make it more of a thing, right? And at the end of the day, that's what consumers respond to. When you go to the grocery store, you're looking for the things that matter to you. Is this healthy? Is it affordable? Is it nutritious? And then somewhere, hopefully, and hopefully in the number four slot, there's like, what kind of impact does this have on, on other people? And just making that really, really easy and accessible for people. And so thanks to your help, specifically, Gage, we've been <laughs> successful in developing a banner, a flag, a unifying seal, which is, as you said, similarly to the organic industry, it's a logo. And a logo is just a logo, unless it's more than a logo. It's more yeah. than a logo if it is the vision for a more sustainable future, a more healthy, equitable, circular food economy that allows people to make easy, sustainable decisions every day. And that's what the Upcycled Certified Certification Program Mark is, is it's a cue to consumers to go, oh, here's that logo that I've been seeing all over the place on a Super Bowl commercial, hopefully one day, or before a YouTube video or something like that. I care about that. That's something that I am going to look for. And then you walk into the next aisle. Oh, I, there's another Upcycled product. I'm going, to, I'm going to pick that one up too. And so we're really excited about the way that the Upcycled Certified mark and program is is gonna change our whole retail industry food industry everything nice that's awesome yeah i'm was excited to help create that certification mark and help build out the brand again just because i've been following the movement and wanting to contribute in some way shape or form so it was just 
serendipitous that the opportunity came to help in that way. And I'm excited to start seeing the marks show up on shelf as more and more brands get certified and update their packaging. So that's for me, like working in food and beverage or whatever in packaging, like that's one of the most exciting moments is you might be working on something two years before it ever hits a shelf, but then you go to the shelf one day in your local store or like a friend's store if you're visiting them and you see this thing that you helped create right there on the shelf. It's always kind of like this exciting moment where you're like, oh, I contributed. I, I helped in some way bring that to, to the shelf and now it's here for people to enjoy. It's just a fun moment. So I'm excited for that moment with UFA. Oh my gosh. We've been talking about that for years. The first time, I, I think I'm going to drop down and cry. The first time I see <laughs> a upcycled certified logo in a grocery store. I mean, it's overwhelming because it's, think about it. It's going to be printed on hundreds of mil- billions of food packages eventually. And so talk about scaled impact. One, even a big food company can use its millions of dollars of marketing budget and reach X number of people. But if you have a hundred, literally hundreds of businesses all around the world using the same logo, printing it on pack, that people are going to see that and then marry that with social media and with other web-based marketing efforts and all kinds of things. I mean, this is going to be something I th- I really do believe it's the next organic in that the years and decades to come, hearing and thinking about that word upcycle when you're shopping online or in the grocery store, it's going to be just as or even more common to use that word in those ways as the word organic is today. And yeah. so it's really exciting to, because think about how many people interact with that word organic on a daily basis. Billions, yeah. right? The benefit is like the USDA organic seal slash the movement took a good 40 years to start getting like mainstream awareness around what it even is or trust of the mark. But we, the UFA and upcycled food certified kind of mark won't have that barrier because like you mentioned, social media, the internet, so many more products now than there were back in the past. So, so many more consumers being open to trying all these new movements, yeah. right? Whereas in the early days of organic, people are like, well, what, what's that? Like they had all these misconceptions of, oh, that's just food with dirt and bugs on it or something like that because they, they just didn't even know what it was, right? But with now people are like, what? A new trend, a new something, a new something free or non-GMO or, or whatever, like all those movements are take up speed so much quicker because people are more open to it and there's more ways to get the word out. And not to mention organic is a program run by the U.S. government. You know, they're, they're not good marketers. Yeah, um, they're not known for their speed of execution either. <laughs> they're not, exactly. And, so, and like you said, we have social media now. We have ways of getting messages out to millions or billions of people in the immediate term. And we want to be the most consumer-friendly attribute, most consumer-friendly certification that consumers interact with on a daily basis, which means, I mean, there's a lot of really successful programs out there that signify to different groups of people really important things like, hey, this product is kosher. That's important for a lot of people to know. And it's great that those things are out there. And what we're trying to do is really take that sort of bland and almost like paternalistic label of like, this is or isn't this thing and bring it to kind of apply some modern marketing strategies to it. Being just the most modern and sophisticated 
marketers make it more and storytelling approachable, approachable interactive yeah. you know that like people can participate in it it's not just a stamp of approval from some entity from some overlord you know yeah exactly it's like something that you can participate in and that you are really the driving force of and that you're having an impact on on climate change every time you make this decision again you gauge in modern species helping us create the logo and doing all of the multiple rounds of research with consumers to figure out what's going to resonate and what's going to look good and what's going to grab people's attention, what's trustworthy. And I, I, we're really happy with the way that it's turned out. And I'm, again, I'm so excited for, for the day when someone I don't know, and that's <laughs> going to be the most validating at all. When someone, yeah, I don't totally. know, it's like picking something off of the shelf. Okay. I, why are you picking that one? Well, I only buy upcycled. Uh, that'll be amazing yeah so that'll be the day when you know you've made it (laughs) so before you were ceo of ufa you already mentioned the denver food rescue that you launched i'm pretty sure while you were in like your second or third year of school but then you somehow also managed to launch a couple other organizations around the same time i think both both also focusing on like sustainability and food so first of all how the heck were you launching so many businesses while you were in school full-time? I assume it was full-time. But then also, what kind of lessons did you learn from those companies that led you into or that uh, gave you what you needed to help run the UFA? Yeah. Well, Denver Food Rescue, I kind of talked about some of the lessons that I learned there. Another company, I think you're referring to Bondadosa, which you can look up online. It's still a great food access or excuse me, business, for-profit business that's operating here in Colorado. And then another great organization that I'm on the board of still is Fresh Food Connect, which makes it super easy to solve the zucchini problem. Any backyard gardener might be chuckling, knowing that, of course, there's this time of year right now, August through September, when you have way too many zucchinis. What the heck am I going to do with all these? Well, you can donate them because there's people who would love that healthy, homegrown most high quality food you can imagine homegrown. You can't leave that right in their yeah. neighborhood and you can, you know, you can help provide it to a neighbor using this app, Fresh Food Connect. And I think all of these things kind of led me to Upcycle Food Association and the common thread that I've in reflecting on all these projects and other ones too, honestly, some upcycling projects, working to working with local breweries to make beer out of otherwise wasted bread and doing some policy stuff. The commonality is, is this markets can cause problems and they can also solve problems. The market, the market for kind of a terrible example, but the the market for blood diamonds, the market for ivory, you know, there's like these really immoral, terrible products out there. Pick your, you could also say like the market for fossil fuels. These are markets that can cause problems because they have so much influence and money. They can solve problems too. And what's unique about them is the rate at which they can solve problems. And because we only have seven years or so to reverse the or avoid the worst climate-related disasters, I'm like, well, after we figure out avoiding the worst effects of climate change, then we can backpedal and like, you know, start from scratch and build a totally sustainable and equitable economy. But in the meantime, we just got to do something big right now, right? And so markets can help to solve problems in the immediate term. Well, what are the barriers to markets taking off? With the homegrown food economy, 
which is maybe not something that people have thought about, but wouldn't it be better if we lived in a world in which homegrown food, food that was grown in your neighbor's backyards made up a larger portion of the total food industry than it does today? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be better if a larger portion of our food industry, our food economy was made up by products that help to prevent food waste? Definitely. In the case of Denver Food Rescue, wouldn't it be better if we, more of our neighbors, 100% of our neighbors had access to healthy food that benefits their lives and their, their ability to learn and, and be healthy versus only having access to products that cause leaps of diet-related illnesses? Okay, so in each of those categories, what's the barrier? Turns out for upcycled food, it's consumer education. That's the barrier to that market. 80% of people want to buy upcycled products, but only 10% know what they are. Okay, so if we want 80% of people to be buying upcycled products, because that's how many would buy them, we have to educate a ton of people. Great, there you go. In the case of homegrown food, there's like a billion dollars of homegrown food grown out there. 70 million Americans have gardens, have backyard gardens. So what's the what's the barrier to all of that food being a... a legitimate participant in our food industry. Well, we found out that it's logistics. We mm -hmm. have to create platforms for commerce and distribution of this food. And so that's basically what Fresh Food Connect does. And for a healthy food economy, like the one that Denver Food Rescue is helping to create, you know, what's the barrier? Well, it turns out it's that one's the most complicated because it's not just a, some economic wizardry. It really is about community. And sometimes that's the barrier. Sometimes it's consumer education. Sometimes it's logistics and technology. And sometimes the barrier for a particular market that you want to see take off is community itself and having uh, close relationships with your, your friends and neighbors and having ways to support your neighbors by helping to increase their access to healthy food. So that's the common, the common thread is figuring out, okay, what's the world that we want to live in in 10 years, 100 years? How can we use the tools at our disposal, like our economy in different markets to create that future and then identifying for each of those markets, what's the, what's the barrier for that market taking off. And so that's my, that's my soapbox for the day, Gage. Nice. I'll get off it now. That's my, that's my test. Oh, so you have this kind of like natural tendency maybe to focus on solving a problem and looking for the barrier, keeping that problem from being solved in a large scale, which is awesome way to look at things. And I think that's where more businesses need to not be focusing on. I've got the solution. Who's got a problem this fits, but more like, Hey, there's this problem. There's probably hundreds of solutions. Let's figure out the best one to start with, start there. And then let's create the other 99 over time as we grow the movement. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that approach makes total sense. And you can see that common thread in all the things you've been doing. Out of curiosity though, like how did the UFA end up getting started? Cause you were working on these other projects, you were dipping your toe in the water of upcycled food at the same time as a bunch of others. And somehow you all came together <laughs> and created this new organization. So tell us a little bit more about that story. Yeah. So, so here at Denver Food Rescue, during the seven or so years that I was executive director, we had a ton of waste and every food rescue nonprofit out there will tell you, oh, we get way too much bread or, oh, we get way too much candy or soda. A lot of really crappy stuff gets donated, unfortunately. So what do you do with that? Like there's gotta be, and sometimes we throw away tons and tons of 
this perfectly good bread. It's just no one really wants it. And you don't really feel great about providing a ton of bread to like in some cases immigrant communities that they don't really eat bread maybe or they don't want it. And you know, it's up to them. And sometimes it can cause diet related illnesses and you definitely don't want to do that. But it can definitely have value for the organization still. So let's figure out a way to tap into that value. So we worked with Izio, a local bakery and the post, a local brewery to brew the excess bread into beer and then sold it at local restaurants and made it, made a bunch of money for Denver food rescue. So it was kind of like, Whoa, upcycling can be a tool to gain financial independence or gain revenue for these organizations that are just famously cash strapped and dependent on the unreliable goodness of people's hearts. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of my foray. And I started doing some networking, realizing, wow, there's a lot of businesses out there that are already doing this for profit. But, you know, this company over there is saying recovered. This one's saying upcycled. This one, is, you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's call it the same thing so that we can start communicating to consumers in a, in a more clear way and make it easy for not just boutique expensive snack brands to be doing this, but to make it easy for big food companies to say, you know what, we're going to use like for LaCroix to say, we're going to use an upcycled flavoring in our, yeah, in our oil essence or something like that, which is not something that to my knowledge is something that they're doing. But imagine if LaCroix put even a tiny bit of upcycled flavoring in, in their products by so much of that, it would have a huge impact on food waste. So making it yeah. really easy for businesses to do the right thing by saying, I mean, you're already using this ingredient, just use an upcycled version of that same ingredient. And all of a sudden the product, same product, it's just more sustainable because it's helping to prevent food waste. So you started connecting in with all these other people in the industry doing similar things, but calling it different. And somehow y'all unified and launched the association i know with so many stakeholders coming to the table sometimes it could be hard to move forward like you were talking also about nonprofits. like you were getting a little bit burnt out on how you know you're so dependent on handouts when you're running a nonprofit. whereas the benefit of a for-profit is you're creating your own sustainable financial sustainability right by by creating products and selling them how did you get this big group of people that all their hearts were all in the right place, obviously, since it's admission driven, but they all probably had like slightly different agendas. How'd you, how'd you all get that group of people to come together and decide, yep, we're all going to form this one association together and we're all going to agree to one standard? Yeah, well, I think part of it was a rising tides raises all ships mentality. If, like I said, 80% of people would buy upcycled products, but less than 10% actually know what they are. And then a follow-up study that one of our board members, John Deutsch, helped with found that it's actually it might be even less than 3%, which is not meant to be discouraging. It's meant to show there's a ton of white space. We get the privilege of making a first impression in an organized way for most people rather than misunderstandings to kind of make their way through the grapevine for people about what upcycled food is. We get to get organized and then go out to 97% of people all at once and go, here's what it is. We got to think about how we wanted to present it and frame it. And that's a rare opportunity and a really exciting one. And so there's so much white space that it's kind of like, well, even if, you know, I'm not doing things that directly improve or benefit my business, just raising people's 
awareness of upcycling is going to sort of indirectly help my business out. So that was part of it. The other part was just wrecking that, letting it be super business led. A lesson that I learned at Denver Food Rescue is that you can't come into a low income community and say, you know, here's what you need. Here's a bunch of food. It has to be genuine. If you want to build sustainable solutions, you have to let the people who have the most experience, lived experience of, of the problems have the most power in, in determining power and agency yeah. in determining the solutions. And so by really putting the ball in the court of all these businesses and saying, okay, what are, what are the common things that we all agree on that you all agree on as people with lived experience that are going to help grow this industry? And by and large, everyone said it was consumer education. We need a standard, a system for standardization. We need a certification program so that we can track how much food waste is being prevented by this industry and report it out to consumers in transparent and compelling ways. And that was something we heard time and time again. And so now we have upcycled certified, which is not only a way to indicate to consumers, Hey, look, here's the logo. That means this product is, is upcycled. But it also gives us a tool for standardizing the collection of data about that set of products. In other words, looking at our spreadsheet right here of all the of all the products that have gone through certification, which is 70 or so, the Upcycled Certified was only launched a number of weeks ago. So we're just getting started. And just with this fraction of the number of Upcycled products that we know are out there that have been certified we've been able to account for more than 3.3 million pounds of annual food waste prevention that's taking place as a result, direct result of these products. And so as more businesses get certified, we're learning a lot about the impact of this industry. And I think it's going to totally blow our expectations out of the water and show just how big of an impact people can make by choosing upcycle products. Yeah, that's amazing. eh? Obviously, I'm aware of the benefits of kind of collective marketing, like all getting the same story so that consumers have more clarity instead of confusion around, wait, is this the same thing as that thing? And then like, what's the difference between these two certifications and so on and so forth? But I wasn't thinking about the value of that shared data set as well. That's that's really powerful and cool too. Love it. And as you mentioned, the certification just launched a handful of weeks ago. The association itself is only a couple of years old or something like that. And you've already got, I don't know the exact number, but I know, I think it's like over a hundred members, probably quite a bit more than that. A lot of interest from the industry on going through the certification program, which is brand new. So obviously it's taking off quick, has a lot of steam behind it. I also noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you were like top leader, top 20 leaders, uh, emerging leaders in food, you were 40 under 40 and all these other kind of accolades that you've gotten so you seem to have a natural knack or something for like growing things fast like getting early success and then kind of going from there so i'm just curious based on your history i'm i'm guessing that you're just getting started <laughs> in the profession in your career in this upcycled movement so what are you looking forward to in terms of like what's the next big goals you're working towards personally professionally slash with the ufa well, there's an, there's an ego boost gauge <laughs> with UFA, the upcycled industry is happening and it's happening right now. And as a food business, big or small or yet to be invented, you have to be thinking about this because this is the future. I mean, it doesn't make sense to be wasting 30% of our food anymore. 
And so these are the first businesses and the first investors that are kind of taking a stand on this and saying, it's unlikely that this is a problem that is going to survive the next century. And so what if we make the investments and position ourselves to be a leader in this space? You know, and from a practical investment standpoint, it's a no-brainer. So where is this going for upcycled? Like I said before, I think that billions of consumers in the decades to come are going to be using and thinking about this word upcycled when they buy food for themselves and pet food and cleaning products for their house and anything. I mean, there's a whole circular economy waiting to be tapped into here that uses otherwise wasted ingredients of all kinds to make new products. And isn't that what we want to be investing in, in a world that we know has a growing population? We don't want to necessarily scale back on our production of food, knowing that there's going to be 9 billion people living on the planet by the end of the century, or maybe even 2050, I can't remember. And so let's just make better use. We don't have to deforesting the Amazon. We just have to make better use of, of the food that we already have under till. So these are obvious things that are going to happen. And it's just, you know, it's nothing special about me or even this organization. It's just like, when you think back to the 80s, like, oh yeah, of course the organic industry would have taken off because that's just like a part of life and a part of the decisions that consumers want to make. And decades from now, we'll be looking back on this like, yeah, of course, you know, surprised it didn't happen sooner. And I am surprised that the upcycled industry hasn't caught on sooner, but here it is. You know, we're always catching up to relearning the lessons that, that we ultimately know we have to reconcile. And for me personally, I'm just excited about all the great solutions that we're going to see come into play over the next century or so, especially those led by, by women and the LGBTQ community and by people of color and people from the global South. And I think that ultimately environmental and social justice are codependent and that one cannot exist and does not ever exist without the other. And as we build a more sustainable future and a more circular economy, that's going to it's going to be more opportunities for people who have been historically marginalized by the systems of power in our in our societies. And so I think my job as a privileged person is to kind of just support the people who have those ideas as much as I can and make connections and and kind of try to be a good steward to people's creativity and, and ideas and, and stories. That's beautiful. Well said. And another thing that just occurred to me as you were talking is with the upcycled food movement versus organic or non-GMO or some of these other gluten-free or whatever movements out in the world, often they had like an enemy that was spending vastly more money trying to fight against that movement. Whereas upcycled food movement, the enemy is just waste. <laughs> like there's nobody out there. There's no Monsanto out there saying, don't listen to those crazy people. Waste all the food. <laughs> you know, like there's nobody out there like fighting against it. So I, I feel like there will be faster growth than even any other kind of movement, like even the non-GMO movement that took off so much quicker than organic, right? But right. I think But it's political. There's there's nothing stopping it, right? Yeah, because there's companies that are profiting a ton off of GMOs. And so any yeah. of those companies, they look at non-GMO as a threat. And I'm not, not taking a stance on non-GMO. I think you know people deserve to to know what's in their food, of course. But the point is, like the again, 99% of people agree on this thing. It's like the one thing that everyone agrees on. There's no one out there saying like you can't call that cheese. 
because exactly. it's not dairy. Like you can't call that a burger. And it's like, you kind of have to roll your eyes at those. I mean, I know it's people's livelihoods, but still like these arguments. But yeah, it's just all kind of infighting. Like, well, you're about to devalue my product. Or you're about to take money out of my business or whatever. But with upcycling, it's like everyone benefits. All companies can participate and therefore they're all going to kind of do it together, which I think is powerful and just speaks to the future potential of what the UFA is doing is unless all of a sudden some organization crops up that benefits off of everyone else failing in this industry, which I don't foresee that, that like it's going to be fast explosive and it's going to raise so much consumer awareness and industry is going to be behind it and everyone can kind of agree on something. Plus it helps climate change too, you know? So that's, it's amazing. I'm excited to see it where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. No one loses if it grows and everyone wins if it grows. And when those two things are, sometimes it's, it's both and or either or, and, but when they're both true, there's no losers and everyone wins. It's a super powerful, rare, rare opportunity to align businesses and the environment and consumers and everything. So I hate to say like jump on the bandwagon because that makes it seem like trendy. And I don't really think there's going to be like a counterculture to this. You know, like, oh, not upcycled because somehow there's like a, a more active or more progressive counterculture that, you know, is going to go beyond that because it's like reducing food waste is the number one solution to climate change and everyone agrees. And so there's just like so much compounding, compounding benefit to that. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see kind of in the coming years how the masses react to things because of course there's always spin and there's PR and things like that. And, and it'll be a great learning experience no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. I think the biggest potential upcoming challenge will just be media outlets portraying it in a somewhat weird light as opposed to just this great, awesome, beautiful food just being used better kind of light where we've obviously seen some of the early stories kind of likening it to dumpster diving or something, but it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> so that's part of the movement of Upcycled Food Association is to make sure that stories that do get out there are good stories. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap this conversation up, which has been lovely talking to you, I'm curious, do you have any advice for brands looking to get into upcycling or looking to maybe talk about their upcycling better? Like what have you learned so far that could help them out? Well, looking to get more involved in upcycling and join Upcycled Food Association, which brings you closer to the center of gravity of this growing movement and connects you with lots of other businesses that make it really easy to make products, maybe even products that you already have, upcycled. There's a ton of upcycled ingredient suppliers out there. You can just buy their ingredients the way you would source any other ingredient and put it in your product. And there you go. You got an upcycled product. You don't have to develop your own complex upcycled supply chain. You know, a lot of that work has already been done, which is awesome. And then for those who want to talk about their upcycling better, I mean, that's really what Upcycled Certified is all about, is bringing everyone under one third-party verified, legitimate, strategic messaging strategy that is replicated billions of times on product packages all over the world and can reach more people. And so both of those opportunities are things that are really easy to get involved with. And the best place to learn more is on our website, upcycledfood.org. 
That's awesome. So there you go. For consumers, buy up. For brands and manufacturers, join up and then certify up. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> no wonder Gage is, is our go-to guy for marketing. <laughs> this is the guy who Love made it. the logo, who made our website. Who, Yeah, it's well said. Nice. Thank you. Well, thanks for the shout outs. And thank you for spending some time in your crazy busy schedule. I know you've got a lot going on. So much impact that you're moving forward. So thanks for doing what you do. I'm excited to see where you continue to go, both UFA and you personally. And yeah, again, thanks for coming out and uh, spend a little time sharing your wisdom, knowledge, and story with our community. My pleasure. And same to you, Gage. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Turner or his association, go to upcycledfood.org. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to EvolveCPG.com to learn about our new impact workshop, Exponential Good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. <laughs>